Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. In this episode, we continue and conclude our series regarding the end times. We started with acknowledgement of the fact that no one knows exactly what will happen or when, and that none of us clearly understand everything. But it is very important that we study and ponder even things that we can only ultimately know and understand in what Scripture terms the fullness of time. We do know that God created us and created everything in the universe. We know that He desires a relationship with us. We believe that such a relationship is meant to be eternal. And the gospel, or good news, is that there is a way for us to have eternal relationship with God, who is love. Therefore, I consider this admittedly mysterious and challenging topic of the end times to be vital and critical, and I hope listeners have gained something from these messages. I want to again acknowledge my friend David Parrish for his research that he shared which I have referenced throughout this series. David is a scholar, and I am just a student. In our last episode, we reviewed the scriptural declarations about the second half of the seven-year Great Tribulation. We concluded with the beast and false prophet being thrown into the burning lake of sulfur. Now we arrive at the second coming of Christ to earth. We will, of course, delve back into scripture for the references, but there is a poem by William Butler Yeats called The Second Coming, and it is worth reviewing here. He wrote this after World War I, so some of the imagery calls that out as the world had abruptly changed, but the poem is much, much deeper. Turning and turning in the widening jeer, the falcon cannot hear the falconer, Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. Does this sound like present day as well? By the way, a jeer is a spiral, and is the common term for how falcons fly, when being trained or flown by falconers. I went to the Air Force Academy for my undergraduate education, and our mascot was the falcon. We had, in fact, at that time, the NCAA's only live performing mascot. At football games, a falconer would loose a falcon to flight, and the objective was always to demonstrate the falcon's ability to maintain audible connection from the falconer and return to his arm after flying outside the stadium. Occasionally, a falcon would spiral beyond audible range and was typically gone forever. So it can be with humans who disconnect from God's perfect will for our lives. Back to Yeats' poem. Surely some revelation is at hand. Surely the second coming is at hand. The second coming. Hardly are those words out when a vast image out of Spiritus Mundi troubles my sight. Somewhere in the sands of the desert, a shape with lion body and the head of a man, 
a gaze blank and pitiless as the sun, is moving its slow thighs, while all about it reel shadows of the indignant desert birds. The darkness drops again, but now I know that twenty centuries of stony sleep were vexed to nightmare by a rocking cradle, and what rough beast, its hour come round at last, slouches towards Bethlehem to be born. So here, Yeats' words alternate between explicit and metaphorical. He explicitly mentions Revelation and the second coming of Christ, as well as the darkness dropping, hindering his sight, just as Paul said he now saw through a glass darkly as he tried to comprehend God's truths. But even in Yeats' metaphorical language, he clearly dreaded what humans were doing at the beginning of the 20th century, and he reasoned that God could not long tarry with such sinful humans. We feel this too, I think, in the beginning of the 21st century. I suggest that at times throughout history, people have always felt this. Solomon told us there is nothing new under the sun. Yes, people are doing horrible, horrible things, and God's justice cannot be delayed. But people have done similarly horrible, horrible things before. God's timing is beyond our comprehension. I mean that literally. He is not bound by time at all. Now we dive back into Revelation chapter 19, where we concluded the last episode. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And from Jesus' own words in Matthew chapter 24, Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. From the prophet Daniel, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And also, 
from the prophet Zechariah. A day of the Lord is coming, Jerusalem, when your possessions will be plundered and divided up within your very walls. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. And that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley, with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. This second coming of Christ is so vital to our faith and to our hope of eternal life. The fact that Jesus conquered death is foundational to our own prospect of eternal life. The fact that we have eternal spirits means the most important consideration in our earthly lives, which are obviously temporal and brief, is what will become of us eternally. There are really two options. We will eternally be with God or apart from God. To be with God is to be loved, and to be apart from God is torment and agony. There is no starker choice ever. Next comes a preparation for the millennium. This time of preparation will last 45 days, according to the prophet Daniel. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. That difference between 1335 and 1290 is 45 days. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. 
I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Now, whenever Jesus repeated himself, we should really heed his words very, very carefully. Note that our responsibilities to help others in need is not sufficient to gain eternal life. We could never earn that. But we who have accepted Jesus' lordship in our lives and accepted his sacrifice on our behalf, thus entering into eternal life with him, should also seek always to do as he commanded us. This includes, obviously, helping those in need. Note that Jesus' admonition that we should care for those in need is directed specifically to us as individuals. Each of us are responsible to fulfill that direction that Jesus showed us. As Paul wrote in his letter to the church at Galatia, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We must not relegate or delegate this responsibility. That is especially true regarding the government. Anyone who wants to have government involved in providing for people's needs is missing the vital and important point that is explicitly for us to do that and not for the government to do that. There are also practical reasons why that would be horrible and is horrible, but that's a topic for another time. Just know that it is not charitable for government to be anyone's provider. Neither is that Christian, nor in any way noble nor good. After this will come the millennium, which is the thousand-year kingdom here on planet Earth. John described this in the 20th chapter of Revelation. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been killed because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. After the millennium will come a final rebellion, which John also described. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth and to gather them for battle. In number, 
They are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Sometimes when people of faith get discouraged by awful things going on in the world, particularly persecution, we will encourage one another with a reminder. We've read the end of the story, and we know God wins. That sounds simplistic, perhaps, but such encouragement is worthwhile. This world is broken, and Christians are being belittled, mocked, persecuted, and worse, in increasingly brazen ways. This is happening more even in countries that have had or pretended to have freedom of religion. And it will continue to happen and continue to get worse. Knowing that God ultimately wins is a very beneficial encouragement, worth remembering and worth reminding one another. After that final rebellion is defeated comes the final judgment. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. From Simon Peter's second letter, we read, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. John's and Peter's discussion of judgment of our sinful actions can be a stumbling block for believers. We know that we are justified in Christ not by our works, but only by his righteousness and his sacrifice on our behalf. We do not attain salvation by doing good deeds, but by accepting that Jesus is Lord and that he died for us. Nevertheless, when we are thus transformed into new creatures through our relationship with Christ, we should always try to do what is right and what is good. God is always holy and always just. There is no contradiction in any of these things. Simon Peter mentioned looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. 
John also wrote about that. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderous, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. That is the second death. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So, we are all given a free choice. We all have free will. The choice is clear and stark and eternal. We will either be separated eternally from God, or we will be present with God eternally. God is love, and we should all do whatever is necessary to be in the presence of his love forever. What is necessary to be in the presence of his love forever? Jesus made it very clear. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus paid the ultimate price for us to wash away all the wrong things we do that would separate us from God, who is perfectly holy. Our part is to accept that Jesus did that for us, to accept that Jesus is who he says he is, and therefore to confess that we need him and we need his salvation, and to accept the gift of that salvation which he freely offers us. I pray that all who hear this do make that choice for eternal life in the presence of the loving God. Core Principles Podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles Podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information. And please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.